invite you to turn in your Bible with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, while you're doing that, uh, Jane just reminded me to uh, just keep in prayer Eddie DeRoshi. He's a um, uh, Jane's dear friend, a member here at the body uh, of Harvest, who's not able to come because of um, difficulties with his foot and uh, would long to be here. And so if we'd keep Edward in our prayers, that'd be greatly appreciated. Also, just to uh, remind you uh, to um, keep in prayer, uh, Jeff Seamus and Wayne Beecher, they're both on vacation this week, wrapping it up this weekend. And so um, just pray for some good rest for them. And uh, this evening, we have the privilege of having Eric Watkins come and uh, preach for us. Eric was the speaker at the family camp this week. His lectures on evangelism are available on our website, and I highly recommend them. Eric is uh, um, maybe the finest preacher in the OPC. He's just a tremendously gifted man with a, a heart for evangelism, but I would really encourage you to come. He's preached here before, but uh, it'll be a joy and a blessing to you to, as we um, gather around the Word of God this evening. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we are making our way through this uh, wonderful letter. We're going to be skipping ahead just a little bit. I was intending to take up 12 verses 12 uh, through 17, but we have the Lord's Supper this morning, and uh, the verses that we have here, 18 through 24, really apply in a unique way to that, and so we'll be picking up 18 through 24 this morning, and then, Lord willing, next week going back to verse 12. So let's give our attention to God's Word, Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 18 through 24. Hebrews 12, verse 18 through 24. Let's hear God's word. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire in darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountains, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father in heaven, we believe that these words on this page are divinely inspired. That this is a message that you want us to hear today. And that your spirit has been, has been given to teach us these things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak and all of us to hear and to respond in faith uh, to the good message, the good news of your salvation for sinners in Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of um, hearing about or seeing some gathering, some party, some feast, some table... Uh, and you were not invited, though you desperately wished you were. Maybe it was uh, in the school cafeteria, and all the cool kids were sitting at the cool table and having cool conversation, and you weren't. And not only were you not there, it was, it was clear that you weren't invited there. You didn't belong. 
I, uh, I remember being at a conference uh, quite a few years ago now, I suppose, but uh, it was at Parkside Church, Alistair Begg, and I was there um, with a friend of mine uh, who knew Alistair fairly well, and uh, so after the first presentation of the morning, uh, the friend of mine says, hey, let's go up and, and say hi to Alistair. Well, I was all about that, so we made our way up, and, and uh, they greeted one another warmly, and my friend introduced me, and, and then Alistair said to my friend, he said, uh, what do, you, do you have any plans for lunch? And my friend said, no, not really. And Alistair said, well, why don't you come and join us, uh, join us for lunch? We've got a special room for the speakers, and, and um, we'd love to have you, uh, have you come and join us. And um, see you then. And, uh, and I thought, well, I don't really have any plans for lunch either. <laughs> um, but it was clear that uh, the invitation was not for me, and I could go with the, uh, the hoi polloi, the, the unwashed masses, into the other room, and, uh, and we'd have our lunch over there. But um, I think all of us can ex- uh, identify with an experience like that. We, we, we know what it feels like to be left out or kept out uh, in the face of a deep desire to enter in, and, and we, we know what, what it feels like in our heart to not be invited to some party or some intimate gathering of people that we admire. We, we want to be allowed to experience that deep fellowship and that rich food. We want, we want to matter and belong. We want a place at the table. We can't help it. We're created that way. The problem is, you see, uh, that we go hungering for the wrong tables, and we ignore the right tables. Uh, this morning, we have the table of the Lord. It's, it is a very simple-looking table, and we easily take it for granted. And, and, and whether or not we are invited or, or, or uninvited to this table might not seem like a really big deal. You'll, know, you'll, you'll sense there's some significance to it, but it, it doesn't feel like a big deal. And maybe it doesn't hurt in some sense um, if, if, if you don't partake. And yet, friends, this table of all the tables in all the world is the one table that you and I should most desire. This is the fellowship that we should most desperately covet. Because this table contains depths of intimacy and truth and honor and beauty and grace that will literally take an eternity to unfold and will never fully be exhausted. Everything, truly, simply, everything that really matters is right here in this table. There's no table like it. You could dine with the kings and queens in their palaces. You could party with the Hollywood stars in their oceanside mansions. Uh, You could have uh, intimate dinner settings in great restaurants with your favorite authors or artists or scientists, whatever it might be. Um, And as rich as that might be, you would be an absolute, utter, and eternal pauper compared to the, the lowest, poorest saint who has fellowship with Jesus Christ at his table. And so this morning we're going to look at the significance of, of this table and the covenant that it stands for as uh, we turn here to Hebrews chapter 12. Remember, the, the writer here in Hebrews 12 is, is striving to encourage 
uh, people who've gone a little dull in their heart when it comes to the faith, when it comes to their joy in the Lord, it's been lost. When it comes to their zeal for the cause of Christ, that has waned. They still believe what they once believed, but, but the, the, the road is hard and, it's, and, and they're not, they don't have the, the excitement and the enthusiasm and the zeal and the joy that they once had. And the writer here then helps them to remember because some of them are being tempted to go back to Judaism where they had, from which they had come and, and there they could have their family back. There they could have relationships and there they would be allowed back in to the places where they were now excluded. But he reminds them of the vast superiority of the fellowship that they have and the covenant that they've come under in Jesus Christ. And he does this with the way of, of contrasting two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And that's just my outline this morning, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Mount Sinai, he speaks of in verses 18 through 21. Now, he doesn't name the mountain, but every one of his readers, being Jewish, would know exactly what he's talking about. When he's talking about blazing fire and thunder and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made them beg that, that it would just stop, everyone knows what he's talking about. He's talking about Mount Sinai, where um, God had brought his people after he brought Israel out of Egypt, rescued them from Pharaoh, brought, he brought them into the wilderness and to Mount Sinai, and there God met with them and gave them his law, his covenant. There he established them in a new way as his covenant people under Moses, their covenant mediator. You can read all about this in Exodus chapter 19 and following. It was a terrifying sight where the radiating brilliance of God's holiness, the awesome display of his power as the mountain trembled in his presence. Uh, you, you read the story and, you say, and, and the people were... were um, instinctively knew that they could not go near. One of the things, the commandments that God gives in Exodus 19, he tells Moses, make sure no one touches the mountain. Don't let them break through to come near me. Because if they would, they would die. Everything about the mountain and God's presence there said, don't come near, stay away. It's like the signs you see at uh, electrical power stations. And the people got the message. They could not endure, verse 20, the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrifying was the sight that even Moses, the man of God, said, I tremble with fear. That was the message of the old covenant, that God in his awesome holiness was not a safe God. He was not safe for intimacy with sinners and the relationship then of that old covenant between the sinner and God was a relationship of fear and distance. You had to keep your distance from this God. And if you remember, the tabernacle and the temple were, were set up in the same way, that there, were, uh, there was an inner court and then a uh, most holy place and then a holy place and then an inner court and an outer court. It's all, it, it, these are all barriers to keep people from getting in to the presence of God because for a sinner to come into the presence of God would be the death of the sinner. And God loves his people. And so he protects them from his own holiness. 
God tells Israel, I am your God, you are my people, but don't come near unless you're a priest, unless you're a high priest specifically, and then only once a year. And that's the nature then of the old covenant. And there was a table uh, that symbolizes these realities of fear and distance in Exodus 24. If you have your Bible, just quickly turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24, throughout the the Bible, you'll see that covenants are usually accompanied by a covenant meal. And here in Exodus 24, we have the covenant meal at Mount Sinai. I'm picking up at verse 1 of Exodus 24. We'll read the first two verses and then 9 through 11. Then God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. There's distance. Moses alone shall not come near to the Lord, but the others shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So you have a very select few, the elders, and they get to come up part way, but they have to stay at, keep their distance. Only Moses is going to be allowed to go close to God. Look at verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. But only they got to see that sight. And they got to enjoy that meal, but even then it was at a distance, and even then it was clear that God was not to be approached in his holiness. It was simply um, impossible. Only Moses can draw near. Well, God in, his old, in the Old Testament, God in the, in the uh, Mosaic Covenant, what, what's he doing? He's teaching people the reality of sin, that it is an awful thing. It's a devastating thing, it is a th- it, and it is awful and devastating, not simply because of the effects that we feel, as, as grievous as they are. It's an awful thing because it offends the reality of God. It offends the righteousness and the holiness and the goodness and the truth of God. So when you sin, when you lie, as an image bearer of God, you are offending the truthfulness of God. He abhors lies abhors it. When you, um, when you go after f- false gods of whatever sort, things that you've set your heart on, you see, it offends God because he's the living, holy, righteous, majestic, living creator God. <laughs> and you're treating him as though he were nothing. And you go running after the things that he's made and you bow down and you worship them. You violate God's character. He's offended. That's the problem with sin. And the Old Testament law is meant to teach that. And that sin then requires God to punish in his justice. And so the people were invited to make sacrifices. They were invited to pray, but they were not invited to come close. Don't come, don't come close. Don't draw near. Stay away. That's Mount Sinai. But you... Wonderful words. 
as the writer now turns and addresses the Christians, the people who've come to faith in Christ, you. You see, there's a con- but you means there's a contrast that's being introduced. A, a new reality is being juxtaposed to the old reality. We're not at Mount Sinai. Some of us need to hear that. Because unfortunately, a lot of Christians um, relate to God as if we were at Mount Sinai. A lot of Christians come to God and they got the law of God in this hand and they've got the reality of their sin in this hand and they know that God is a holy God and so there's fear. There's dread. There's distance. And they, um, they, they look at other people who are maybe more holy in, than, than they are and they think, well, those people can draw near to God, but, but I'm just not there. That's not... It's not where I live, and and I'm afraid of God. And and the truth is, how many of us aren't afraid to die and meet God? Should Christians be afraid to die and meet God? Not, Not in our spirit, maybe our flesh, but not in our spirit. So what's going on? Well, we maybe like the early Christians have forgotten which mountain we're at, you see? But you means that you, as a professing Christian, a a child of God, you are not at that mountain. You have come to a different mountain. And the the word here, come, means to come to worship and to to belong to. You're, You're identified with this mountain. You live in a different covenant. You have come to Mount Zion. And everything's different about Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion, of course, is the name for uh, the Old Testament name for Jerusalem, but the writer here isn't talking about the, the, um, the earthly city. He's talking about, as it says, the heavenly city, city of the living God. You've come to a, a different place, just as real as Mount Sinai. That mountain could be touched. The, the, the new city and, and Mount Zion can't be touched, but it doesn't mean it's less real. It's more real than anything that you and I have ever actually experienced. Uh, It is the city of the living God. And the the writer wants us to to sense that we belong then as followers of Christ, as those who believe in Christ, to that city. And the the difference is dramatic. It's like if you um, could think of your former way of life uh, uh, being in a prison. And and a prison... um, is all about uh, fear and punishment and condemnation and guilt. Uh, pr- prisons are, are meant to teach those things, and, and that's the message it conveys. That's the, that's the message it speaks. And, and the writer is saying, well, you don't live in a prison anymore. So you live in a, a, a completely different place. Think about your favorite family vacation place. We just spent two weeks, again, at Lake George, and it's so rich because of the beauty, but it's rich because of the fellowship and, and the meals shared on the deck looking over the lake and, and the, the, the singing that we do and, and the, just the talking together. Great, great, uh, great meat and, and, and good wine and, and great fellowship. It's a feast. That, that's what you've come to. It's com- the dynamics are completely changed if you come to Christ, as you come to Christ. So what do we find in this new reality at this new mountain, this heavenly city? Well, we find innumerable angels in festal gathering. 
You come to a feast, a joyful feast, angels celebrating. The whole scene is joy, not just chipper Disneyland happiness, but resounding, thoroughgoing, vibrating, vibrating joy. I mean, the, the place rumbles with it. This delight in God and in his salvation. And you come to the assembly of the firstborn. The assembly is the church, ecclesia. You come to the assembly, the church of the firstborn. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us. But, um, in, in Old Testament times, the, the firstborn is the one who gets all the goodies. He's, he's the sole heir to all the wealth and, and the privileges of his father's estate. Well, everybody in the church is a firstborn. Everyone who has, has come to Christ in living faith is an heir to all the wealth of God in Jesus Christ. There's no second, third, and fourthborns. Everyone's firstborn in Jesus. That means that you will, you, have, you will not have any more rights and privileges in heaven than you already have. You'll just experience them in greater measure. But you don't, you don't get more privileged than you already are. And the writer tells us not only do we enjoy this together, this, the, the assembly, the gathering of the firstborn here on earth, but we, we enjoy communion with the spirits of righteous made perfect. That's what we've come to. We've come to, to the, the church of God in heaven. The assembly there, we, we with them, you see, belong to Mount Zion. And, and they experience it now um, with their perfected soul in the presence of God as they, right at this moment, celebrate his grace and goodness and, and, and taste the, the fruits of his accomplishment for them, his salvation. They, they're, they're there now, we're here, but, but we commune with them in the fact that we with them belong to Christ and we with them that Mount Zion is our city as much as it is theirs. And one day we with them will, set, will, will uh, enter that city with body, perfected body, and soul. We're with them waiting for that day to come. Third, notice we come to God, the judge of all. Now that seems out of place a little because that, that's the threat. That's what, we, that's what we fear about God. He judges men. He judges men. It's appointed unto every man once to die and then to face judgment. The God of the New Testament is the very same God who thundered at Mount Sinai. He remains Lord and judge of all. But see, everything has changed. The thunder of condemnation and, and judgment is silenced. It's, the, the condemnation is gone. How? Well, the writer tells us. We come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. Mediator of a better covenant. Speaks a better word. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. Moses got to go up to the mountain and meet with God, though it terrified him. But he couldn't bring the Israelites along. In fact, he had not command them to stay away. Well, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus establishes a new covenant. In his own blood, the night he gathered his disciples at the, at, um, before he died to eat with them, to celebrate the first Lord's table. He said to them, this is the covenant, this blood is the covenant in my, in my blood. 
which is shed for many. It's a new covenant. Now, we have to, we have to get our, grasp the significance of that because we don't, we're not used to thinking in terms of covenant. Covenant is how God always deals and establishes relationships with creatures, his people, or, or, or um, just those he's made in general. There's different covenants in the Bible, and they establish the terms and the expectations of the relationship. You have different covenants in your life. You have, if you have a loan, that, that means you have a covenant with the bank, and that document establishes the terms and the nature of the covenant, right? They, they don't expect you to... Uh, to be their friend. They don't expect you to send them birthday cards, to come to bank parties. The, the, the context of the covenant is laid out. Now, other people do expect you to do those things. Uh, your spouse, for instance. Because th- there's also a covenant. And, and uh, the promises that you made dictate the terms and the nature of, uh, and then the characteristics of that covenant relationship. It, and it, and it, it spells out clearly what... Um, what you are required and called and, and free to do and not do. Well, with God, it's, it's the same, you see. And, and it's critical that we understand the nature of the covenant because if you are relating to God as though you are still at Mount Sinai, you have the wrong covenant in view. You're not relating to God appropriately or correctly. Uh, we tend to think that our relationship to God is defined by uh, our convictions, our circumstances, our conscience, how we feel about God, how we feel about our relationship to God. None of that is true. In, in, in other words, your bank doesn't care how you feel. They just care you, you make the payment. Um, when it comes to God, your feelings don't dictate the terms or the nature of the relationship. The covenant does. That defines all the things that matter. And you'll only enter into the joy of the covenant when you understand the, the, the terms and, and freely enter into then the nature of that relationship. Well, why are we so hesitant to do this? Well, it's <laughs> because we're instinctively afraid of God. People are not... Um, it takes... Well, let me just say this. People who are not afraid to die have worked hard at it if they're not in Christ. They've, they've worked hard to, to train themselves to believe something other than what their own conscience is telling them. The Bible says that every man has in his heart the knowledge that there's a God and that God has revealed himself in creation to the extent that everyone knows there is a God and everyone senses that that God is a moral, holy God and that there will be a judgment day. We're afraid of God because of sin. Right? The first time you read the word afraid in the Bible, you read it in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve fell into sin and they went and hid and God said, where are you? And, and Adam says, well, I was, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. He was afraid, you see, of being exposed. He was afraid of the shame of his guilt. He was afraid of being condemned because of it. Well, you see, that's exactly what we need to do. Remember and hear when, when the text tells us that Jesus speaks a better word. The Old Testament, Mount Sinai, was meant to expose, and to expose sin. Paul says, I wouldn't have known what covenant he was until the commandment says, thou shalt not covet, and suddenly I'm exposed. That's what the law does. It's what it's meant to do. But we have, we have a better word at Mount Zion. We come to a sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
Remember Abel? Uh, if, if you don't, Abel's way back in the beginning of the Bible. This is uh, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's children. And Cain and Abel bring their, their offerings to God. And uh, Cain is jealous of God's approval of Abel. And so what does Cain do? He murders him. And God comes to Cain and says, Cain, where's your brother? And that classic line, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And what does God say? The blood of your brother Abel is crying out from the ground. The blood that has been shed is speaking. And it is exposing you, Cain, as a murderer. And there's no denying it. There's no making it go away. And the blood of Abel calls out for vengeance and justice. That's the blood of Abel. But the Bible tells, tells us that there's a better word in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's still, the blood of Christ still reveals our sin. Jesus didn't die for no reason. He died because you and I have sinned against God. His cross stands as a testimony of the, of the reality of wickedness. But you see, the better message is that because Jesus died as an innocent sacrifice, because Jesus died bearing our guilt, because he took that guilt and shame on himself and atoned for that guilt and shame, that his blood, having satisfied the demands of justice, his blood now can cry out for mercy for sinners and appeal to justice to do so. When Jesus, you see, comes to the Father with his sacrifices, he, he says, Father, I've satisfied the demands of justice for John and for Jane and for Sue and, and Peter and Mary. I've, I've satisfied what justice demands for their sin. And so on the basis of justice, Jesus pleads for mercy. And the Father happily gives mercy to Peter and John and Sue and Mary. That's the better word. Has God spoken that word to you? Is, have you heard that message and received that message for you? Friend, what mountain do you, do you go to when you come to God in prayer? Are you always at Mount Sinai? Always under condemnation? Always sort of asking, hoping against hope that God maybe somehow could be gracious to you? Or do you come in boldness and draw near, as the writer says in Hebrews chapter 10, to a throne of grace because you come, you're coming to Mount Zion. You're coming to a declaration of, of, of grace and mercy for sinners because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You're, you're believing the better word. And you're receiving that truth. And on the basis of what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ, you come boldly and you draw near as the sinner so that you may receive grace and mercy for your need. That's the mountain we're allowed to come to. And we have a table here this morning to symbolize and confirm that covenant. Before we come to that table, I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 25, and we'll wrap up. Isaiah chapter 25, which is a beautiful, beautiful text that speaks about a coming table, a coming feast at Mount Zion. 
Isaiah 25, this is Isaiah prophesying. I'm going to pick it up at verse 6. Let's let these words soak in. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Friends, that's what we come to when we come to the table of the Lord. This is not a religious ceremony. It's a visible evidence of unseen things. This is from the heavenly city, right? The food here is from the table there. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? The bread and the wine are from the table there as they point us to symbolize the blood and the, uh, the body of Jesus Christ. The table of Sinai was for a restricted few. This table is for all the peoples as they come to Jesus Christ. That table in Exodus 24 was a reminder of sin and the, the curse and the distance that, uh, that follows sin. This table, friends, is a reminder of the suffering of Jesus Christ and the invitation to come near. It's a reminder of the victory he has over sin and over death. He has swallowed up death forever. That table warned people to stay away. This one calls us to draw it near. And as we come to this table, we celebrate the salvation in Christ. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is our Lord. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we come to his table. Well, Father in heaven, I thank you that Jesus Christ has come. And that, Lord, we now in boldness can draw near to a throne of grace. I thank you, Lord, that this table is about a, is your table, that you've laid out for us a feast. And, Lord, I thank you that this is evidence of the gospel. This is evidence of that heavenly city. This is confirmation that you forgive our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that we've entered into a new covenant relationship, a covenant of joy and peace. Father, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of every person here, and Lord, that this table would be so significant that if we've not professed our faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that, that you would give us the grace to do that so that we might come to the table of the Lord. If we're living in sin this morning, unrepentant sin, I pray that we would see the the awfulness of our state, that in unrepentant sin we cannot come to this table. For this table is for sinners who've seen their need and have come to Christ and surrendered and are trusting in his righteousness. Oh God, we are unworthy, all of us. But Lord, I just pray by your spirit this morning that these elements would become to us spiritual food and drink. Whether we... Whether we participate or not, that we would hear the voice of God speaking to us today. 
calling us to faith, calling us to obedience, calling us to joy in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.